as the ruler of all. He has given us his law. In a moment, we'll remember what his law actually does for us. But I want to start by reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 7. Listen to the third command of God. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's all for now. Let's stop right there and let's have a seat. Today we're going to talk about this idea of the name of God. And to set things up for you, I want to I tell you a little bit of a secret about most pastors. And this may be something you might gather, but most pastors, we generally, when we meet someone, we don't lead with the fact that we're a pastor. In fact, most of us, there are, there are a few exceptions. They're like, I'm a pastor. But, but most of us, we kind of hold that back as long as possible. Because here's why. Generally, when I meet someone out in, just out in the public sphere, right? Especially places like, I don't know, the baseball and softball field where I coach and, and meet lots of people. You know, it's amazing when you meet someone, you, you get to hear all sort of creative language. I mean, the vocabulary that people will share with you when you meet them, it's just, it's amazing, right? They're, they're free to describe things with all sort of, most of their words have about four letters in them, but, but all sorts of words, and, and oftentimes they'll even, without knowing, they'll talk about my God. They'll, say, they'll use my God's name and my Savior's name quite frequently, and, and, and the real amazing thing is, sooner or later, through conversation or whatnot, it, it comes to light that I'm not only a Christian, but I'm a pastor. And it's amazing in those moments how quickly their language changes. I mean, it's like God's sanctification over their vocabulary. Just boom, all of a sudden, all of those four-letter words disappear. And in fact, when those words do show up or when, when they happen to use the Lord's name in vain, it, it's amazing even those who don't believe, even those who would say, I, I don't think there's any God, I don't, I don't believe in God at all, even those who are outside of the faith, when they do use the Lord's name in vain. Oh, so, so, sorry, Mike. Oh, sorry, Pastor. Maybe you have the same experience. Maybe when people find out that you are a believer, that their language changes a little bit, and they're a little bit more guarded, and a little bit more careful. Maybe around others, they're still the same, but around you, they try not to use God's name poorly. You see, what's happening in this moment, I think, is part of what we're going to see as we look at today's text. Because, because as a believer, if you're sitting here and you're in this room believing in Jesus and his death and resurrection, you bear the name of God. And as someone who bears the name of God, as someone who is aligned with Christ, as someone who is in Christ, you are called, we're going to see in this third commandment, you are called to not lower God's name in vain. But because you bear his name, you're called to, to magnify, to magnify his name in love. Now, that's our big idea today. As we look at this third command, and we look at it on the other side of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, we look back at all of that. We are going to learn today, do not lower God's name in vain, but instead magnify his name in love. Now, now to do that, we have to remember a few things. We have to remember the, the first two weeks of this series, and we'll probably repeat this every single week. But the first two weeks of the series, we said, what does God's law do? We said, first of all, God's law, it points us to the gospel. You see, when we read these Ten Commandments, there's not one of us that says, oh man, I am awesome. 
In fact, when we read the Ten Commandments, every one of us looks at them and says, oh, no, I'm in trouble. If this is what God requires, I have failed to meet this requirement. I am in trouble. What am I going to do? And, and hopefully, being in trouble, it turns our attention directly to Jesus Christ and says, Oh, I, my sin is great, but I have a great Savior. Jesus died to pay the price for all of my sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he has credited to me that, that perfect obedience. You see, God's law, it draws our attention. It points us to the gospel. And once it points us to the gospel, we're no longer on the hook. We're no longer on the hook that says, you need to obey perfectly if you want to be right with God. That's gone. And so then the next question is, what does God's law do now? If it means that we're no longer on the hook to obey perfectly to be right with God, what does it mean now? What it means now is it now leads you in love. See, it points you to the gospel, and then it says, okay, if you understand that Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to climb up on a cross and pay the price that he did not deserve and you did, if he was willing to die for you, be buried and resurrected, well, what that happens in us now is, is we, we want to love him back. In God's law, it teaches us how. He, he doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own, but he says, here's what it looks like to love me, the first four commandments, and here's what it looks like to love each other the next six commandments. And so up to this point, we've seen that we're supposed to love God first, and then we saw last week we're supposed to love God truly, and now today we look at how we love God's name. And I want to show us how to love God's name. I want us to dig in to how we love God's name, and I want us to see today that you can love God's name in three ways. In fact, we're going to love God's name by, by magnifying his name in prayer, by magnifying his name in our promises and by magnifying his name in, in the patterns of our speech. But let's start at the very beginning. If you want to love God, if you want to make sure to obey correctly this third commandment, to not take the Lord's name in vain, if you want to make sure you don't lower God's name in vain, but instead you magnify it in love, let's start by thinking about prayer. You see, you magnify God's name in prayer. Now, in the time of the Exodus, as well as in the time of Jesus, there was a common philosophy, religious philosophy, in terms of how the world and the deities worked. And the philosophy was something like this. If I say the name of a deity the right way or the right number of times, if, if, I, if I interact with the deity in the right way, that deity now becomes obligated to do what I want. It's, it's really a form of, of, some would call it magic, or others would just simply call it manipulation. And so those that would pray, there would be those, and they would repeat the name of this deity over and over and over again. They, they just, over and over, they would repeat it. And every time, they would think they're earning this prayer point, and then sooner or later, they're going to achieve a certain amount of prayer points that now, oh, now, well, now the fertility God is going to give me a child. Or, or now the God of abundance is going to give me a good crop. Or now the God of rain is going to provide rain for, for my field where I'm growing things. That, that's, that was the predominant mindset. And the same was true in the Exodus. The same was true in Jesus' day. Months ago, last year, we actually covered this from Matthew chapter 6. But listen to Jesus before he teaches his disciples how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 
7 and 8. Jesus' words, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, or, or, or let me say, vain words, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Jesus is saying, you, you don't manipulate God. You don't mistake, just like we talked about last week, you don't mistake the creator for something created. You, you don't invert the order of the cosmos and the order of the world and place yourself in a position where God is now obligated to do what you want. No, no, no. That, that, that's not how you pray. This is what we would call vain prayer. To pray in God's name, but to pray in God's name in a way that, that is vain. It's, it's actually that word, do not take. This can be translated, do not lift up. This is the idea of lifting it up over and over again, or lifting it up in an inappropriate way in our prayers. And this is what it looked like in Egypt. And this is what it looked like in the first century in G with Jesus. And I would argue, this is what we do sometimes today even. Now, I'm guessing, I've made this observation a few times in the series, you probably aren't going to go home and say Jesus' name a thousand times and hope that he's going to get you a new car. That's probably not how you operate. But, but what are the ways that we pray vainly in his name? I think there's a few. I think the first one I, I would call salvation prayer. Stay with me here for a minute. See, there's a, a mindset in, in the church today, and this mindset is, if I can just get someone to pray the prayer, if I can just get them to, to pray the right words, then all of a sudden they will magically be saved, because God will have to save them because they've prayed the prayer. But here's the deal. Listen very carefully to these next few words. Prayer does not save anyone. You can't pray yourself into heaven. Now, now, prayer oftentimes does go along with and accompany salvation, but how is someone saved? Someone is saved when they look at the claims in the person of Jesus Christ. When they're willing to believe that Jesus is who the Scripture says He is, the perfect, sinless Son of God, the Lamb without spot or blemish, and that they believe Jesus did what the Scripture says He did. He died as a substitution in my place, in your place, paying the price for our sins, was buried, and on the third day, by the power of God, was resurrected from the grave. When you believe that, it is by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you are saved. But sometimes we, we take God's name in vain. And we think, if only I can get my child to say the prayer. Or we think maybe, maybe if, if only, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I've said the prayer. You know, when I was younger, I said the prayer, and that was it. And, and it doesn't really matter the rest of my life beyond that. And you know what, this Jesus thing, yeah, it's kind of something that's distant in my life over there. But because I said the prayer, I've got fire insurance, and I am covered. Prayer, prayer doesn't save you. That is, I think, maybe the most dangerous form of offering up the Lord's name in vain. I think another way, not just salvation prayers, but is sloppy prayers. By sloppy prayers, I mean prayers that maybe take very little effort or very little thought. Pr prayers that are not about glory to God and lifting up His name, but they, they strictly about what you want 
or about what you need. They're praying in Jesus' name, but praying for things of this world. God, get me this promotion. God, get me this car. God, get me this girl. Whatever it might be for you in your life. And it's not bad to pray for, for things like a promotion or, or for material things or even for relationships. But, but what is bad is when that's the only way you're going to him. Some have called God, that view of God is the cosmic vending machine. I'm going to come and put my prayer quarter in, pull the lever, and what's going to come out? The third type, not salvation prayer, and not, not sloppy prayer, but would be the showy prayer. Maybe this is more like you. Where you, you're, you're like a professional prayer, prayer. You, you have eloquence of speech, and so in, a, in the moment where there's a need for a prayer, you're happy to step up and pray, but, but you know in your heart that that prayer, as beautiful as your words are, as wonderful as they are, what you're really doing is, <sighs> you guys catching how spiritual I am? I'm going to pray in a way that makes sure everyone around knows how, how me and Jesus, we're, we're, we're just like that. What do all three of these have in common? They all have the attention focused completely at self. Not at the Savior. Each of these, the common denominator, just like the way the Egyptians would pray over and over again, just like in Jesus' time with those who were pagan, just like us. See, see, when we lower God's name in vain, what we're doing is we're making prayer. When we pray lowering God's name in vain, we're making it about us. Don't, don't pray in vain. Don't, don't lower God's name in prayer, because vain prayer, what it does is uses God. It uses God to, to our benefit. But here's the, here's the alternative. Instead of vain prayer using God, loving prayer, prayer that knows his love and loves him back, loving prayer magnifies God. It enlarges God. It puts God in the center showcase, the place for everyone to see. Look at just a little bit further in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. L listen to how Jesus teaches his disciples how to begin their prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this last year we preached on this. I'm not going to sit here all day. I'd love to because it's just, it's incredible, the text here. But hallowed be your name. What is this prayer about? To say, hallowed be your name, it's let your holiness and your glory, let it echo and reverberate throughout the entire room. No, throughout the entire city. No, throughout the entire world. The prayer that says, hallowed be your name, it is not man-centered, it is not self-centered, it is not me-focused. The prayer that says, hallowed be your name, is the prayer that says, heavenly Father, may the world see how amazing you are. May their jaw hit the floor. May their knees hit the ground. May they fall before you in worship. Hallowed be your name. How do you approach prayer? Do you have, do you have a get something approach or do you have a gospel approach? A get something approach, it approaches God in whatever situation, maybe a terrible situation. God, here's how I want to be rescued. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to fix it, and here's what I want you to give me. 
but a gospel approach says, God, this is, this is painful and hard, but let me see your face. Let me know you in this difficulty. Let me lean on you. Let me learn to trust you even in my pain. These are two very different approaches. The get something approach is very small on relationship. And God's there for you, but do you really know him? The gospel-centered approach, it's heavy on relationship. It says, I might not get what I want, but as long as I have you, I am fine. I can endure. I can be content. I can do all things. I, I, can, I can suffer through anything. You see, the get something approach, it, it doesn't even consider the gospel. The gospel approach is all about the gospel. It says, because Jesus has died in my place, because he's been resurrected, because I have the guarantee of eternal life, and I have the promise of life with Christ right now, I can endure. How do you pray? Do you, do you have vain prayer that lowers God's name, or do you have loving prayer that magnifies God's name? See, see we're, we're learning this third commandment, from Jesus' words here, we're learning the third commandment. We do not want to lower God's name in vain, but magnify it in love. And it starts by magnifying his name in prayer. But let's keep going. Well, what's the next way we can love God's name? We can love God's name by, by magnifying God's name in our promises. In our promises. Uh, are you known as a person who keeps their word? Are you known as a person who has to say, uh, Oh, I swear to God, so that someone will actually listen to what you're saying. Are you known as someone who's maybe flighty that m might show up or might not when you say you're going to be there? You see, as God's people, as those who bear God's name, God, God puts a, a strong emphasis on the way we keep our promises. Let me just rattle off a few passages of Scripture for you. I think they're in your notes uh, Ephesians 4 25 puts it like this. This is, therefore, having put aside all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Matthew 5 37, Jesus' words. He says, Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James 5.12, echoing Jesus' words. James probably listened to Jesus preach that sermon in Matthew 5. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Even Leviticus chapter 19, applying the third commandment. It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. See, to use God's name in vain, that word vain, it can mean empty. It can be, mean worthless, or it can even mean falsely. To, to use God's name in vain is, is to be aligning yourself with God, and then having the words that come out of your mouth not aligned with what is true and what's good and what's right. Ultimately, here's what happens. When you use vain promises, vain promises, they pervert God's name. 
If you are someone who says, I call on Christ, you say one thing and you do another, in that moment what you're doing is you're lowering God's name. You're lessening it. I've seen some examples of this in the news lately. And I'm about to be an equal opportunity offender, okay? And so if you like what I say first, hold on to your seat for what I say next. And if you don't like what I say first, well, then you might like a little bit more what I say next. But, but listen, leading up to the election, th- there were Christians, pastors, prophets. And you know what their message was? They said, God told me Trump will be reelected. He will not leave the office. God has spoken. That's heresy. That's blasphemy. That, that's, that's, it's sickening. Because they're, they're taking the name of the Lord and they're making promises in vain. Same thing happened, though, with the inauguration. Our kids are homeschooled. I, I went home from work during the inauguration. I sat down with our kids. You know, a civic event, you kind of seize the, the moment. You want to teach whatever you can in a moment like that. And so we sit down together, and we watched the inauguration. And there were, there were references to God. There were prayers to God. There was calling on God's name in all of these ways. And then, you know what happens? The next day, they walk into the Oval Office, and they sign executive order after executive order that, that is a mockery of the way of God that is the opposite of obedience to God's word, that says we want God, but we don't, we don't really want God. We just want his blessing. Again, it's blasphemy. It's heresy. It's a mockery. And it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching to watch. But what is happening in both of these situations? The, the, these verbal expressions of calling on God's name to manipulate either God or people to get what they want. It's the opposite of honoring God's name. It's lowering God's name in vain, not, not magnifying it in love. And I, I, you've probably done the same thing. I've done the same thing. I remember years ago, probably a, a year or two after I got my driver's license, I remember driving down the road and there were these friendly lights flashing behind me, you know? And, and, I, and I was a Christian. I, I had my Bible sitting on my, on my passenger seat and, you, you know, the thought that went through my mind? I'm just going to scoot this up so the officer can see it when, when he comes up. So... <laughs> Maybe he'll go soft on me, right? You know what I'm doing right there? I was using God for my benefit. See, if we're ever using God for our benefit, what are we doing? But we are, we are lowering his name and we're raising ours. We're, we're using his name in vain. And every time we use these vain promises or these vain strategies, it perverts God's name. This is not what you're called to. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Instead, instead, as those who bear the name of Christ, faithful words, faithful words, they magnify God's name. Here, here's what I mean. You ever been in a medical emergency where, you know, maybe there's no one with much medical expertise and, and there's someone who's having a medical episode and everyone's kind of like frantic and doing their best and like, uh, and, and then someone with medical expertise shows up. I, I've been in these situations a few times. And the moment someone says, I'm a nurse, watch out, or, or, or trust me, I'm a doctor, it's like the, the sea splits. And everyone's like, you, you go right ahead. You know what you're doing. You, you jump on it. Go for it, right? That, that's a great moment when that happens. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Here's how Christians are meant to walk through this world. You, you don't climb up on a pedestal and say, 
trust me, I'm a Christian, but you have faithful words. Your yes is yes and your no is no. You keep your promises, you're faithful to your responsibilities, and in that, the watching world, even those who don't believe in God or the gospel, here's what they say. You can trust him. He's a Christian. You can count on her. She bears the name of Christ. You want to know what happens in that moment? In that moment, the name of God is magnified even among those without faith. In that moment, the name of God is, it resounds. Hallowed be your name. Why? Because your, your people, those who are Christian, who bear the name of Christ, they're living like it. Faithful words magnify God's name. See, see, you, you don't lower God's name in vain, but you magnify God's name in love. You, you do it with prayer. You magnify God's name with prayer. You, you do it with your promises. You magnify God's name by keeping your word and living according to what's true. But let, let's venture into this last category. Thirdly, you magnify God's name in the patterns of your speech. You know, this... This commandment, the third commandment, actually connected to it is a, is a prohibition against uh, frivolous or, or careless speech. It's actually within it, it's, it's a call to be careful as those who bear the name of God with, with being careful with how we speak. Because here's the deal. Careless speech, it conceals God's glory. It, when you're careless as a Christian with the way you talk, it's like throwing a wet blanket over the glory of God. <laughs> It diminishes it. it. It conceals it. Ephesians 5, verse 4, it picks up on this theme. Listen to this. It says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let's talk about how careful or careless you are in your speech. I'm guessing... If you actually like verbally swear using the name of God, it's not because you're trying to like mock God. If, if you're in this room or watching online, I mean, I, I, I literally, I only know one person and they on purpose use God's name to try to mock God and, and I think to get under my skin, honestly. Like one person I know who does it on purpose. If you do it, it's because, you know what, a couple of years ago you hit your thumb while you were hammering and the words came out and you're like, oh, it's carelessness, Right? You're probably not intentionally trying to mock God, but, but, but how careful are you in the way you speak? Listen to the way this, this verse describes carefulness. It's, it's not saying OMG or oh my, you know what, or, or God's name in vain as a swear word, but, 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 but are you careful? It, it actually describes, describes it as let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Filthiness. Foolishness. Crude joking. Years ago when I worked at Albertsons, I, uh, we, we had these large carts. They, they had these rails on the side of them that were probably about this high. They were about six feet long, and they were about, you know, a foot and a half wide, and we would stack our garbage on them throughout the day. 
right? And the deal is, these carts, every department used it. And so I was in the produce department, so I'd have like, you know, produce trimmings on it, not a big deal. But you know what? The, the deli would use it, and like they would have like the, the grease and the gunk leak onto the cart, and, and the, the butcher block would use it, and so they would have all of the juice from the raw meat drip down onto it. I mean, it's just super sanitary, right? And imagine this cart being used week after week, year after year. There was kind of this, uh, this colony of, of gunk built up on it, right? And I had a friend that he, he told me, you know, he, he had this bad habit. Whenever he had something under his nails, he would, he would just kind of like chew it off. That was, that was his habit. And one day he came up to me and he, his face was like almost white. He said, Mike, you're not going to believe what I just did. <laughs> what? Well, you know, I, I went and I took the trash out and I was throwing one box down and another box down. You threw it down to shoot into a trash compactor. He says, and I grabbed the last one and as I did, my, my fingernails, they scraped along the bottom of that cart. So as I threw it down and I started pushing the cart back to where I was going and without even thinking about it, I put my hand in my mouth and I ate that stuff off my fingernails. <laughs> it's filth. But, but we, we, we have our stomachs turned by, by the filth that is going into his mouth. But, but what about the filthiness that's coming out of your mouth? How careful are you? Look at the categories this describes. It says filthiness. This is the idea of being foul-mouthed. I, I'm guessing you're probably not very foul-mouthed in a church service. But what about with your coworkers or your friends? I had a guy tell me last night, he says, Mike, I was married for so many years. My wife, she, she never knew that I swore. She never heard me sw swear. But every day at work, I cursed better than anyone else. What about with your friends and those other environments? This is filthiness. It says, it says crude joking. You a fan of telling a dirty joke? You a fan of listening to a dirty joke or, or reading a dirty joke? Are you someone who, like, when the dirty joke email comes to you, you're quick to forward it to someone else and, and pass on the crudeness? Is, is that kind of part of your lifestyle? I mean, sure, you're probably not going to come tell your pastor a dirty joke, but, but what about your buddies and your bros? Now, look at the third category, though. The third is foolish talk. The, the one who talks foolishly is the one who is, is, they're just kind of always looking to get a laugh. They're always living in the level of being frivolous. It, it, listen, you should be good-natured and joyful. I think Christians should have more laughter than anyone else. I think we should have greater laughter than anyone else. But this is like, I'm always kind of saying something that's just almost a little bit offensive or a little bit off. And the reason I'm doing that is so that everyone around me has a good time. Foolish talk. All of this is just an example of being careless. How, how careless are you in your speech? So you see, to, to, to bear the name of Jesus and to have filthy talk or foolish talk or crude joking, it's taking the, the glory of God's name and concealing it and covering it and hiding it, saying this is not important. Here's what's important. My, my filthiness, my crude talk. But, but in the same way that careless speech conceals God's glory, careful speech reveals God's glory. 
Those who are careful to speech, those who are mindful about those words, those who are intentional with how they speak and talk to others, you know what they do? They live that life that says, hallowed be your name, and it magnifies, it reveals God's glory. I mean, God himself, he reveals his glory simply with his name. We're in Exodus, looking at the Ten Commandments. Exodus is a, so much of the book is God just saying his name. Go, go read through it. Look at how many times he says, this is my name, or I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. You look at Moses and the burning bush, and God reveals himself, and he says, I am that I am. He reveals his name. You look at the Ten Commandments when it starts, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery, or out of the, out of the land of Egypt. And, and even you get to... A little bit further, Exodus 33, Moses has said, God, I want to know you even more. God, I want to see your glory, but God doesn't just show him. Look at this verse, verse 19. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. When God shows his glory, it's audible. When God shows his glory, it's not just a picture, it's not just something visible. When God shows his glory, it rings in our ears, and it's meant to ring in the ears of everyone that we live with, and everyone that's around us, because you carry his name. In fact, tonight, tonight we're going to dunk some people. It's going to be awesome. And when we baptize them, we're going to baptize them. We know what we're going to say. We're going to say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are Jesus' instructions. Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, sitting here having been baptized, you have been baptized into the name. The name of God. And you don't lower his name in vain with speech you magnify his name. You magnify it. How do you carry his name in your everyday ordinary life? I know a moment ago I read just a, a series of scriptures. I want to do it again. I want us to get us to, in our mind to visualize how valuable God's name is. You can follow along. I think these are in your notes. Or you can just close your eyes and listen for a minute. Listen to these words. Psalm 8 verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe or give to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name that brings salvation. And you, you bear it. There's only one name that brings hope to a lost and hurting world, and you carry it. You carry the name of Christ, which means if you're going to not lower his name in vain, but if you're going to magnify his name in love, this means that his name is actually a mission. 
I mean, serious. Stay with me just for a minute here. The name of God on your life is your mission. You are called when you go to work to magnify his name so that everyone can know who he is and what he's done. When you're with your family, the entirety of your purpose with your family is to magnify the name of the Lord so, he know, or so your family knows how amazing he is and how salvation is in Christ. With your neighbors, you are meant to be known, not as the guy with the good lawn or the bad lawn. You are meant to be known as the one who magnifies the name of the Lord. With your enemies, with the people that annoy you, with the people that compete with you, with the people that frustrate you, with the people that love you. You bear his name, which means you bear it in mission. It's kind of like occasionally in my, in my family, in my household. There's moments where maybe our kids are fighting or, or maybe there's like drama with neighbors or friends or whatever. And there's these moments where we sit down and we have a little family power. We say, okay, guys, listen, listen, listen. That's usually how it goes. We're Freemans. That's not how we're going to act. We're going to be kind to each other. We're going to love each other. We're going we're to be forgiving toward those who have hurt us or frustrated. We're Freemans, but more than that, the sooner or later the conversation gets to, you want to know why? Not because we're Freemans, but because we are Christians. Because we carry the name of Christ. Let's just take a moment and consider your your life. Consider your life as maybe a flame, maybe a, a, a beacon. Is it a beacon to everyone who sees you of the glory and the majesty of the name of your God? Or have you turned the dimmer down? Maybe you flipped it off. Maybe you go to certain places and you just you cover it up completely in those moments you know what you're doing you're lowering his name in vain that's not your calling you are called to magnify his name and love pray with me oh lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. And you have blessed us with this incredible privilege of carrying your name. Father, we thank you that you have saved us in your name. Through your son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection, we, we no longer fear punishment for the moments we failed to honor your name. Instead, we've We've been given forgiveness and we've been made new and washed clean. And so, Father, in this newness of life, in this, in this gift that you've given us, Father, help us. Help us to use our words, use our mouths, not, not to spill out vain prayers, not to spill out false promises, not to spill out careless and filthy words. Instead, Lord, Allow every word we speak be a word that resounds with your holiness and your faithfulness, your, your absolute kindness and your grace, even your, your law, which brings liberty and guides us in love. 
And God, we pray all of this in the, the wonderful, glorious, powerful, and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.